almost never simple or easy. My grandmother practiced a homespun kind of hospitality. She kept her eye out for vulnerable women and children in her small town north of Seattle and then asked friends and acquaintances to contribute whatever the loose change or folding money they could to help those at-risk families. She earned the reputation of being a welcome presence, a local Good Samaritan. When we hear the term Good Samaritan, we naturally think about the hospitality described in, in today's gospel. It's a well-loved teaching story that seems to be about helping those in need and distress. Generosity of spirit and the willingness to put others first appear to be the core message of this parable. The Good Samaritan emerges in the story as today's good guy, someone we can use as a model, someone we can emulate, someone we can be like. But in reality, the person in the parable to whom we need to pay the most attention to today is the one who doesn't say a word, doesn't act at all, and one who offers no clue as to who he is or what he did. There's more to today's gospel lesson than the Good Samaritan. Look with me now at the fuller story of, of loss, pain, and hospitality that's being shared with us by the gospel author. Jesus is speaking with a group of disciples. A lawyer in the group wants to put Jesus to the test. So he stands up in front of Jesus, which, by the way, is an act of, of disrespect when a, when a rabbi or a person of authority is speaking. And yet the lawyer addresses him as teacher and then moves right into quizzing Jesus with a question about how he, the lawyer, might personally gain eternal life. Jesus reminds him of the basic law. You must love God completely, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Do that, Jesus says. Do that, and you will have eternal life. But the lawyer isn't satisfied. That was too easy. So he pushes Jesus a little further with a bold question. Well, who is my neighbor, he said. In response, Jesus begins the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's all we ever know of this fellow. A man beaten, stripped by robbers, abandoned, deeply wounded on the roadside. We learn that two officials of the temple pass by that they see the desperate situation, but they sidestep without stopping. The third passing traveler is a Samaritan. Now let's pause here for just a moment to remember the ancient feud between Jews and Samaritans. The cause of this deep-seated ill will 
was a disagreement long ago over how and where God is to be worshipped. But it's a strain that has grown over the years and generations. Jews and the Samaritans have been mortal enemies for years. They harbor a deep hatred and an abiding distrust of each other. Suddenly, Jesus' story bursts into full detail. Detail that would be totally unexpected and highly offensive to his listeners. Luke describes the scene this way. The Samaritan bandaged the man's wounds, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, this despised Samaritan paid the innkeeper and arranged for the beaten man to be cared for until he could return and settle up with the innkeeper. Whoa, is this the, is this the act of an enemy? And now Jesus turns to the lawyer and poses the same question, the who is my neighbor question that the lawyer had just posed to Jesus. Which of these, Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The crowd is hushed. Everyone is speechless. The answer is obvious, but even the lawyer can't get the word Samaritan out of his mouth. He does the best he can. Finally, he mumbles to Jesus, the one who showed him mercy. What, we want to ask? Speak up, we can't hear you. The one who showed him mercy. Who is my neighbor? It's not an easy question. It assaults Jesus' listeners at the heart of their racial and religious prejudice against Samaritans. And it brings the question squarely to us here today, who is my neighbor? Some of the disciples present for this exchange might have wondered, how dare Jesus offend us, his disciples, in this way? How dare he call into question a hatred they knew was good and right. How dare he challenge us like this? What's, what's going on here? Well, in place of first century Jews and Samaritans, if we peopled this story today with 1940s Americans and Nazis and called it the parable of the good Nazi, well, we might get a, a clearer idea of just what's going on in this teaching story. In simple language, Jesus underscores the principle that the powerful demand control of the oppressed. But it's justice that the weak demand of the powerful. Let me put it this way. If control is a tool of the powerful, then mercy is the power of the weak. Let me say that again. If control is a tool of the powerful, then mercy is the power of the weak. We see this in our own day and in our own experience. For example, the power of the civil rights movement in our country was not about holding the nation hostage to its baser instincts. Dr. King did not appeal to the nation's fears he appealed to the nation's ideals and hopes. 
He took the power to terrify and turned it into the power to forgive, to heal, to love. The Good Samaritan showed mercy when he could have just walked away. But he didn't just walk away. He directs our attention to the victim. It's the victim in the story of the Good Samaritan, the anonymous and battered Jew left for dead on the roadside, not the caregiver who is at the center of the parable. It's the victim. Who is our neighbor? Well, we learn about our neighbor when we are down and out, when we're at the end of our rope, struggling to survive, trying to manage an unspeakable situation of bad health, dwindling money, joblessness, rejection by friends and family, loneliness, experiencing the end of all hope. Whoever the person is who helps us at times like this, that is our neighbor. When we recognize ourselves as the desperate victim in the ditch, then we can begin to understand this parable. When our rescuer is someone whose name we can't bear to utter, then neighbor might be the powerful new name to use. Who is your Samaritan? Who is our neighbor? It may be the very person we find annoying, repellent, dangerous. Someone whose worldviews are radically different from our own. Someone we think we would just be better off without. Jesus is speaking to us about them now. Those modern-day Samaritans are our neighbors. Not only that, Jesus says, we are called by God to love those neighbors as much as we love ourselves. In fact, Jesus says, there is no one, no one anywhere who is not our neighbor. Our neighbor is that person with whom we share not simply a cup of water and a crust of bread and a few moments of conversation. Our neighbor is the one with whom we live out God's call to love and forgive. And when we discover that, we will know who our neighbor is, but more than that, who and whose we are. Amen.